0: So what was your favorite game you played when you were a kid? Leapfrog, hopscotch, marbles, jacks, maybe it was a good game of stickball or kickball, capture the flag, Annie, Annie over, you know, maybe those were your games. Or or maybe you were a child of the late 70s and you kind of came in around uh, video games when they first popped on the scene. and. You like a good game of Pong or Super Breakout or Centipede or Pele Soccer. But you know, from the late 70s till now, video games have changed a lot. I had somebody tell me not long ago about a relatively new game, I think it came out last year, and the online description of this game goes like this. You can open a lot of different doors and behind each door you will find hostile and friendly worlds. Now, that doesn't sound like a video game, right? That sounds like real life. I mean, anybody open a door and found somebody hostile this week? Huh? A hostile situation or a hostile person? My guess is we all had at least one moment like that. And so how do you play this game with all these doors and these hostile and, and friendly places? Well, again, the online description says this is how you play. You need to leave the place where the game sent you this time through a portal to move forward. That sounds a lot like real life too, right? Because no matter what's happening, you always have to move forward. No matter what's going on, you always have to move forward. Whether it's a physical step, whether it's a mental step, whether it's a spiritual step, we all have to take the next step. Either with our mind or our heart or our feet, we have to take the next step and then another step and then another step and then another step. step. We have to keep moving forward. That's the only way we exist as humans. We continue our series, Doors, where we're looking at some of the doors that we face in life. and, And the name of that game that I was mentioning is called Tricky Doors. That's why somebody told me about it. They knew what I was preaching here. And so our sermon today is Tricky Doors, and we're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. And, and what we're going to find is Peter is going to help us discover or rediscover some profound, simple truth that's going to help us keep moving forward. The very thing that we need to keep moving forward and taking the next step and taking the next step through every tricky door that comes our way. So what does Peter have for us? Let's find out. First Peter chapter 5 beginning with verse 8. Peter writes, Be of sober spirit. This isn't the first time that Peter uses sober in his letters. He uses it several times. We saw one of those times a couple of Sundays ago when we were looking in chapter 1. And, and what we have here is that when we hear that word sober, what do we usually think? Well, we think of something connected to the sin of drunkenness. But the reality is alcohol is not the only thing that we can be drunk with. It doesn't take us long to look through our own personal life or to the lives around us and we can see that people can be drunk with power. They can be drunk with pride. They can be drunk with procrastination. They can be drunk with anger. They can be drunk with arrogance. They can be drunk with apathy. They can be drunk with lust, they can be drunk with loneliness, or they can be drunk with laziness. They can be drunk with fear, they can be drunk with fatalism, or they can be drunk with with freedom. Fatalism meaning everything's always bad, all the time, no matter where you are, nothing's ever going to work out. And freedom, how in the world can you be drunk with freedom? Here's how. You can be drunk with freedom when you are obsessed with having your way whenever you want it, wherever you want. (laughs) You're drunk with, I'm going to be free. No one's going to tell me that I can't be free to do whatever I want. That's drunk with freedom. All of those are pictures of things that we can be intoxicated with. And Peter says the cure for any kind of drunkenness is to be sober. Well, well duh, right? I mean, that makes sense. But, but what does it really mean? Well, this word for sober that he uses, it means being self-controlled. It means that no matter what happens in life, you don't lose your spiritual focus. You, you keep your mind focused on the greatness of God. No matter what's happening, no matter what the circumstance may be, you're fighting the good fight to keep your attitude centered on the greatness of God. Now, having a sober spirit doesn't mean that you ignore the situations you're in. You don't ignore hurt or pain or difficulty. It just means that you don't completely define your life and the attitude of your life by what's happening in your life. You don't define life by the circumstances or by the situations. The letter to the Hebrews said that we're supposed to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And the old hymn says that when we do that, that the things of this world will grow dim as we see the light of his glory and his grace. Now, those are not just pie-in-the-sky religious notions. We all know these things to be true, right? That, that's why the photographer makes sure that someone takes a picture of the groom's face when the bride walks the aisle. That's why grandparents stand outside that newborn window in the hospital as giddy as a little kid at a toy store the week before Christmas. It's exactly why people tear up when they're looking at the American flag and listening to Lee Greenwood sing God Bless the USA. It's the same reason why people get numb when they walk into the donut shop and they see the handwritten sign, out of maple bacon. You know? We all know this, right? We all know that when we look around in life, there are moments where we see something and we feel different. We, we think different. We act different. So what Peter's saying is keep looking at Jesus. Keep focusing on Jesus. Keep listening to the truth about Jesus. Stay sober about Jesus. Stay self-controlled about Jesus. Stay focused on Jesus and let your attitude never stray too far from the greatness of God. Like really, really, really. Don't let your attitude stray too far from the greatness of God. And let me just confess for all of us, we will all work hard to stray from the greatness of God this week. We will be overwhelmed with that situation. We'll be afraid, we'll be angry, we'll be frustrated. Something will happen, and we'll forget to let our attitude stay sober and focused on the greatness of God. But we need to work hard to make sure that our attitude is leaning in and leaning toward the greatness of God. Why? Paul said it this way to the folks in Corinth, 1 Corinthians seven thirty one: the present form of this world is passing away. Look, we need to do life today, all right? We need to go to school, we need to go to work, we need to do life at home, we need to take care of the yard, we need to take care of the car, we need to do all the things, go get a maple bacon donut every now and then. Look, there's lots of things in life we need to do. But we also need to remember that this world should never define who we are if we are followers of Jesus, why? Because this world and the things of this world are passing away. The only things that will remain are the things connected to Jesus Christ. All the things of this world will not last forever. The only thing that will last forever is what's connected to Jesus. The only legacy that will truly be a legacy is a legacy that's attached to the greatness of Jesus Christ, the truth about Jesus. Every notation in every history book Every stained glass sanctuary, every job, every sports trophy, every well-manicured yard, every retirement account, every single thing has its place and its purpose in this world. But ultimately, those things as we know it will all pass away. The only thing that will not pass away is those things that are intricately connected to Jesus Christ. So that's why we connect our souls to the things of Jesus. He is the only ultimate lasting legacy. And that's why Peter says, stay sober in that. You know, stay focused on that. Don't, Don't stray from that. Don't lose the spiritual focus of your life when everything else is falling apart. And again, let me just confess, we will all have our moments, okay? We're all gonna have our moments. Where we will stray and we'll lose focus, but we keep fighting to regain that focus. And what does that sober focus do? Peter tells us, verse 8, be on the alert. Spiritual focus leads to spiritual alertness. Peter says, be spiritually alert. Well, what does that look like? I had a friend of mine uh, grew up in South Georgia. He was in a, a very large family, and he said from the time they were little kids when they were out in the fields, their parents over and over and over and over again said, hey, watch where you walk. And the reason why is they wanted to be sure that those little kids were not stepping on snakes. You know, that's not just good advice for the fields, right? The reality is, is as believers, we need to watch where we walk. We need to be careful how we step in this life. We need to pay attention to those things that we're thinking, those things that we're doing, those things that we're saying, those places that we're going. You know, I've never counseled with someone who is wrapped up in some kind of immorality that woke up that morning and found themselves in immorality. No, it it started some time ago. It started when they quit being sober. It started when they quit having a spiritual focus. And when you lose your spiritual focus, you lose your spiritual alertness. And when you lose your spiritual alertness, you start stepping in that lane of wandering away from God, being rebellious toward God, and hurting the people around you. So it's not an accident that Peter says, hey, be sober. Stay spiritually focused. Stay spiritually alert. Because if you don't, the path will change. The wealthy and wise King Solomon once said this in Proverbs 4. Watch over your heart with all diligence. For from it, from your heart, flow the springs of life. Well, watch your heart even more than you watch your step. Watch your heart. Watch watch what you're loving. Watch what you're adoring. Watch what you're thinking about with your heart. Watch your heart. Watch the path of your feet. Watch your life. Be alert. Be sober. Be focused. Pay attention. And why do we need to do that? Why do we need to be so spiritually sober and so spiritually alert? Well, Peter goes on in verse eight because here's where the tricky doors come in. Your adversary, the devil. Now, someone may immediately think, come on, man, you gotta be kidding me. 2022 here, are you, are you, are you really saying you believe in the devil? I absolutely believe in the devil. Since 7.30 Friday night, I have been in this very strange world of spiritual oppression. I I can't exactly define it, but let me tell you the unique way it continued this morning. I get in the shower, I go to shut the door, it falls off. Yeah. And so my immediate response was, Okay, so this is today, this is how it's gonna be. I'm, this is what I'm saying in the shower. This is it, this is, okay, so this, all right, okay, so this is today, this is how today is gonna be. Now, that was my first response, because I'm, I'm working on you know, almost 48 hours of this kind of weird suppression. So I'm holding this door, you know, it's, it's you know thankfully it didn't fall on the ground, and then I couldn't, you know, I, I couldn't get it back on. Gotta cut the water off, and I'm like, goodness gracious. I mean, it was quite an ordeal before the door finally got on, and, and I'm not saying, that the devil knocked my shower door off this morning i'm not saying that i'm just saying that the reality is i can tell you from the last 48 hours i feel the oppression of the enemy because see the bible over and over and over again details the existence of my adversary and your adversary the devil It's very clear, too, as it's been noted, that that every time we see the devil in the Scripture, he is in a habit, a lifestyle of rebelling against God and with his evil agents stirring up oppression, stirring up trouble. So I do not buy into the notion that, you know, Life is like a, an episode of The Walking Dead where there's demons on every corner and we should be scared all the time. But the reality is the influence of the prince, of the power of the air is real. It's around us and we would be foolish to deny it. C.S. Lewis in the preface to his book, The Screwtape Letters, gives a, a beautiful picture of the two equal and opposite approaches that most humans take to the idea of the devil and his demons and this is what he says one is to disbelieve in their existence that's that's one error second the other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them and then he said this, they themselves are equally pleased by both errors. They would love for you to go either way. Act like they don't exist or obsess over them. Either way, they're good with that because both of those approaches will take your eyes off Jesus. You won't fix your eyes on Jesus if you run into either of those errors. Listen, I can't make you believe in the existence of the devil, but I can plead with you not to deny the existence of the devil. And here's why I would love to plead with you for that. Because the devil, your adversary, your enemy, he is out to destroy your soul. He's not trying to distract you. He's trying to destroy you, trying to devour you. Paul said that the same message that Jesus gave to him is the same message that we have. And that is that that we are here with the gospel to help people out of darkness and into light. To help people from getting underneath the power of Satan to enjoy being in the power of God. From going to an everlasting terror of darkness into an everlasting eternity, inheritance of joy. We have that message. That's why Holland Avenue Baptist Church exists. This is not a Southern Baptist religious country club. We exist to help people escape and be rescued from the power of Satan and to receive and live in the power of God. We exist to help them find God. So that God can release them, give them true freedom from all of the devouring and destruction that the enemy has planned. So when we say that we believe in the devil, we are not trying to be crazy religious fanatics. That's, that's, that's not our goal. We are simply believing in the enemy. We're believing in his work because we have this great message of the gospel that helps people go from darkness to light, helps people go from the power of the enemy to the power of God. This is what we have. This is what we hold out. The devil is not a religious fairy tale. He is not a a fantasy myth. He is not some nursery rhyme legend. He is God's enemy, he is my enemy, and he is your enemy. So let us not deny him. And what is it that the enemy is doing? Peter tells us, verse 8, he prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. The devil doesn't just want to, to trip us up with drunkenness or or immorality or or gluttonous or 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 whatever else you want to throw in the mix he's not just trying to trip us up with those things he wants to take those things and use them so that when we're running down a concrete sidewalk he can violently push us down with those things and create the kind of head wound that will literally make our souls bleed to death the enemy hates me and he hates you and he hates God. His desire is not to distract you. His desire is to devour you. So we pay attention to him because of his hatred for God and his hatred for us and his plans to prowl and devour. He is very, very powerful, but he is a miserable loser and he has no future. And he'd love for you to have no future too. So he pulls us away. And the greatest battleground he has in all of our lives is our attitudes, how we think, how we watch the news. How we listen to talk radio, how we scroll through social media, how we respond to the bad service at the restaurant, and on and on and on. His most powerful way to get to us is in how we think, in the attitudes of our lives, what's going on in our mind, and that's why Peter says stay spiritually focused, stay spiritually alert. Watch your life, watch your life, watch your life, because if you don't watch your life, then that prowling adversary your enemy the devil he will throw some tricky doors at you and if you're not paying attention you'll go through those tricky doors and you'll go yeah this was a good door to cruise through a few weeks ago I read an article the title of the article was sin will never make you happy and it made this very simple but stunning statement about your adversary the devil and how he tricks you And this was the statement, sin promises to make your future happier. Sin promises you that it will make your future happier. But it's a lie, and sin knows it's a lie as soon as it tells you. See, temptation is always trying to trick us into thinking that whatever we think will make us happy will make us happy. I know that sounds overly simplistic, but it's true. Temptation tries to get us to think, wait, whatever I think will make me happy, it will make me happy. So what do you think will make you happy? What do you think will make you happy? I mean, really, like, think of your life in the last few days. What is it that you thought, well, man, if I could have that or if this could happen, I think I'd be happier. Maybe it's bigger than that. What is something in your life that you think would make you happy? A, a boyfriend, a, a girlfriend, a, you know, a, a part-time job, a, a new car. Is it you know to to be married or to be married again or to have a better marriage? Is it to have kids or to have better kids? To to have a, a better job or a better house or a better car or a better whatever it is. What is it that you guys? If I could just if I could just have this, I think I would be happier. It doesn't mean that that, that thing is, is necessarily evil, but your adversary, the devil, he is always hanging around the conversations in your mind in the same way that he was hanging around those conversations with the first man and the first woman. And the way he's hanging around is always like, I, I don't know, did, did God really say you couldn't watch that? Did, did God really say you couldn't say things like that? Did God really say you couldn't drink that or you couldn't buy that or you couldn't drive that or you couldn't travel there? Did did God really say that that you had to keep this job? Did God really say that you had to honor that part of your wedding vows? I mean, I don't know. did, Did God really say those things? Sin is always a liar. Sin always tries to convince us that we will be happier if we get what we want that we think will make us happy. And the reality is it always ends up being a lie. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a lion, not to distract you, but to devour you. But don't miss the four most important letters in that passage, L-I-K-E. He's prowling around like a lion. He is not a lion he's a wannabe but he, he's a liar he's he's not a lion but Jesus our Redeemer the King of Kings the Lord of Lords not the hater of our souls but the lover of our souls he is a lion he is the lion Revelation 5 verse 5 says stop weeping Stop being afraid, stop being sad, stop being angry. Why? Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah has overcome. Jesus has overcome sin and death. The choir sang about it earlier, we are victorious because Jesus is victorious. What would change in your life this week, in my life, if we really thought about that? when we were reading the news or watching the news or scrolling through social media? What would really happen in our life when when we were engaged at work or school or the the doctor's office or or the donut shop or whatever it is we are in the middle of? What would change if in our minds and our attitudes we kept that on a loop? Jesus is overcome. Jesus Christ, our king, the lion, has overcome sin. He has conquered sin and death and hell. He has removed darkness. He has won. What Peter's saying is stay focused on that. Stay alert to that. That will change things. And it will. But it doesn't mean that the enemy will not still prowl. We we need to stay focused on Jesus. We need to stay alert to the truth about Jesus. He has overcome, but his overcoming doesn't mean the devil stops prowling. So what do we do while he is prowling? Well, here's some things to to not do. First, we've already said it, do not deny the existence of the devil. Just just don't do it for the good of your own soul. Just don't deny it. Second, don't deny the work of the devil. Don't, don't deny the oppression of the devil. Next, don't exaggerate the work of the devil. I think far too often something bad happens. Well, look what the devil's doing. Look what the, don't exaggerate the work of the devil. Don't ignore it, but don't exaggerate it. Don't say, oh, the devil made me do it. I mean really like don't say that I mean really like don't say that I'm like nah, just don't say that another thing don't ever say well hey let me play devil's advocate no don't ever be an advocate for the devil even in conversation if you need to say something say ignorant advocate I learned that you know this this is a this is a, an interesting anniversary of me learning that because I learned that on 9-11 Because in the middle of coverage that morning, Peter Jennings said, he goes, well, let me just play ignorant advocate for a moment. And I remember in that moment going, thank you, Peter Jennings, because I hate hearing I'm going to be a devil's advocate. So ignorant advocate is great terminology to use. If you feel like you've got to use it, say say ignorant advocate. So those are are some things not to do. Peter's going to give us something to do. Look at verse 9. So resist him firm in your faith. This is great news because just with this very simple statement, Peter is actually saying we can win when our adversary, the enemy, is coming after us. We can be successful against the devil. We can resist him. How do you do that? How do you resist the devil? How do you resist The prince of the power of the air, the the prince of darkness. How do you resist him? Well, Peter says you resist him with your faith, your firm, saving faith. This is important. Peter doesn't say you can resist the devil with just a sinner's prayer. He doesn't say you can resist the devil with just being baptized or or just attending church or or just being a member of a church. No, he says it's got to be this firm, saving faith. It doesn't mean that you spend every day, all day, questioning if you remember the date and the time and what color your pants were when you prayed to receive Jesus. Don't buy into that foolishness. But saving faith is, I'm, I'm saved. I am believing in, and relying on, and trusting in, and clinging to Jesus. Saving faith is not just saying faith. It is a faith that actually trusts in Jesus. It doesn't just say, well, I believe in Jesus. I believe in God. No, it trusts in Jesus. It engages with Jesus. And when the enemy begins to tempt, saving faith says, Jesus says that the devil is not a fairy tale. In fact, Jesus says not only did he believe in the devil, he talked about the devil, he was clear about the devil. Saving faith is the kind of faith that trusts in the person and the work of Jesus Christ all day, every day. Now, we don't do that perfectly, right? But we fight that good fight. In the moment when we get distracted, resisting the devil means we're fighting in that moment to rejoice in our faith, to remember our faith, to renew our faith, to rediscover our faith, sometimes every 30 minutes. Sometimes that's what it takes. You do, you, you just have to start over. You, you have to re-engage. I mean, it was about 7.30 Friday night. And it just, 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 I don't know, just, just depression. It just hit me, and so like every thirty minutes, you know, since since Friday night, I've had. to, Okay, come on, let's regroup. Let's let's refocus. So so I'm not I'm not throwing out pie in the sky ideas to you. I'm throwing out. Hey, I've been doing this for the last forty eight hours. You know, I'm having to fight this good fight of when our adversary, the devil, comes after us. We have to be firm in our faith. And listen, we will not feel like being firm in our faith. We won't. There are plenty of moments in life where we don't feel like being firm in our faith. I'm sure that my wife and I have both had moments in our marriage where we didn't feel like being loving but in our wedding ceremony one of the things my brother-in-law said to us that I now say in my wedding ceremony is love is a choice it's not always a feeling and when you choose to love the feelings will follow so the same is true with faith we don't always feel like being firm in our faith but when we choose to be firm in our faith God in his kindness and his grace he will build us up he'll help us get the shower door back on you know he'll he'll be there for us in the moments that we need peter says resist the devil be firm in your faith now let's connect that with what we said earlier earlier we said this that sin what it does is it promises you that it will make your future happier but that's a lie So the flip side of that is when we are firm in our faith, when we resist the devil, what we're doing is we're reminding ourselves and agreeing with the truth that God will make our future happier. It's not a lie. He has accomplished it through the birth and life and death and promised return of Jesus Christ. So for all the tricky doors in life, for all the, the doors that your adversary, the devil, will use to lie to you about your happiness. He'll say, man, this door, this door will make you. We resist the hostility behind that door by believing the truth of God. And what is the truth of God? Well, there's a gazillion ways we could talk about the truth of God. So I'm, I'm just gonna pull one out back from chapter one of First Peter. This is what he said, beginning in verse eight. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. And what does that belief do? Verse nine, obtaining as the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls that that's the truth of god that's the truth of god that will make your future happier i am saved i am being saved one day i will be gloriously saved the outcome of me today choosing to resist choosing to be firm in my faith the outcome will be the salvation of Of my soul. I will be rescued. I will be redeemed forever. Martin Luther put it this way And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. We're going to sing this in five or six weeks, something like that. We're going to sing this as a congregation. Luther goes on. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fail him. And though this world with devils filled, it is, it's full of them, there is one little word that will undo your adversary the enemy and all of his evil agents forever so so what's that word well i don't know <laughs> i mean i don't know what luther was thinking you know but but how about we take a pretty good shot at it when you look at the scope of history particularly redemptive history there can only be one word that will really fell the devil and his enemies. And that word is Jesus. There's a lot in that name. There's victory, there's power, there's rescue, there's peace, there's mercy, there's love, there's satisfaction, there's hope, there's joy, and on and on, all in the one name. And so Peter says, be sober, stay alert, resist the devil, be firm in your faith. And when the tricky doors come, you just keep with and for Jesus moving forward because he's the word that will be the last word for all eternity.